Good morning. Welcome to Cultivate. This is our family gathering. We call it a family gathering because we believe that we are the family of God who come together to celebrate our King, Jesus Christ, and all that he's done for us. If you are new here, my name is Aaron Maines, and I get the privilege to teach uh, our body today. I'm not the regular pastor. Jay Francoeur is a regular pastor, but... um. We want you to feel as family, so if this is your first time, don't hesitate to reach out to us uh, so that we can welcome you as family. We've been going through the book of Acts uh, since the start of this year, since January. That's when the year starts, 2014. And we've been um, seeing that the book of Acts, it's not a book primarily about the history of the early church. It's not a book primarily about this group of people called Christians and how they expanded and grew in numbers. What it really is a book about, it's a book about Christ after he left this earth, how he inhabited his body, the church, and how although he was gone physically from the earth, he continued his work through his people, um, his body, the church, while he was gone. Today's message, at the forefront, um, when I was thinking about this, it's a message that contains miracles. But as I was reading through it and praying through it, I just got the sense that it's, it's really not a message primarily about those miracles. Although there are two contained in it. There's a man named Aeneas, who's a paralytic. He's bedridden for eight years. Peter, when traveling the countryside, encounters him and heals him. So that's one of the miracles. There's a miracle where Peter, people hear of Peter in a nearby town. And there's a widow who just died. And that widow's name is Tabitha. And they hear of Peter, so they send for him. And they say, come quickly to us, you know, there's a member of our community who has just passed, hoping that Peter, by the power of God, could raise her from the dead. And Peter does. I hope I'm not giving away the ending to anything. But again, it's, that's miraculous. And that is beyond the realm of anything that I have physically encountered on earth, and probably you too. But it's not a message primarily just about that healing, about Peter raising somebody from the dead. So I guess the question we're left with, if it's not about those things, our text today, what is it about? I would submit to you, that our text is about not the healings, but the healer. It's a text about how Jesus is the only one and true coming king. It's about the fact that there is one God, one true God. And that one God sent his son, Christ, the Messiah, to earth in order to 
bring in a kingdom that is really not of this earth. It's not of our experience of the earth. So Christ is the king. Amen? And if he's a king, a king has what? A king has a kingdom. So the message today is about a king and his kingdom. And if you're here today in Christ, you're part of that kingdom. And his kingdom lives in your heart. Pray with me. Father, we're gathered as your body. And we confess that you are the one and true king. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, we're different people. We come bearing different burdens this week. Lord, and you alone know the heart of everyone in this room. God, it's your spirit alone that can reach the hearts. So, Lord, we invite you here, God. We pray that your spirit will be mighty. We pray that you would reach the hearts here. Lord, that you would awake our souls to the reality of the king that lives inside us and the kingdom that one day we will walk into in a physical, real reality, God, in which you are king and we see you face to face. Lord, would you come and do this work? In Jesus' name, amen. Our text today is Acts 9, 32 to 43. Last week, Jay uh, talked about a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was a chief persecutor of the church. He was one who was a religious leader who his job as the religious leader was to squash this group of people called the Way that had risen up. You know, these followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And Saul did that with a great zealousness. It's interesting because one of Jay's main points was that God can change anyone, right? We saw that in the story of Saul because he, if we were to kind of relate it to our experience, he would be the least likely candidate to become even really in the family of God, let alone to be turned from a persecutor to an evangelist. But again, we serve one true king, and he's able to change anyone. So at the end of Acts, or the passage that we were looking at, there's a key verse that, I just wanted to highlight as a transition verse that's going to set up what we see today. And that is Acts 9.31 to 
there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. I don't have the page number, but it's in there. 763? Thank you. I was actually hoping somebody would give me that. Thank you, Janet. So I'm going to read the key transition verse. Uh, Acts 9.31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So that's the key verse that we're looking at because God just changed the chief persecutor of the church to be a member of the church, now one who's going to receive persecution later. So we see that the church now, living in the fear of the Lord, is encouraged and and enjoys a time of peace because God removed Saul from persecuting the church. I'll give you a little background. Um, So, kind of the geography of what's going on in Israel. The church is now what began in a room, one room with, you know, handful of disciples scared out of their minds. One room in Jerusalem. Now, in a period of five to six years, the church has been scattered because of persecution that it received, and it's in an area roughly the size of New Jersey. So it's been scattered about. Peter is traveling about the countryside, visiting that scattered church, who is now enjoying a time of peace. So I said we're going to read it. We actually should go back and read the text. Okay. Acts nine thirty-two to 43. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken to the upstairs room. All the, widow, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing the robes and other clothing that Dorcas has made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Some translations actually say, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, again, if you're new here, we we tend to dialogue. So this is an opportunity where we're going to talk some things out. So what are some of the patterns? If, If you've been here, if you've been in the study of Acts, or if you just know the book of Acts, what are some of the patterns, common themes, and events any one of those that we see in the book of Acts. Okay, right. 
we see miracles, and then we see God using those miracles to draw people to himself. What else? Well, we remember we talked about before, we also see that as the church goes out and shares about this Jesus, whom the Jews just crucified, they encounter a lot of opposition, right? And then in that opposition, you know, they're boldly declaring, Peter, boldly declaring Jesus Christ and like almost like pointing fingers at the people who just crucified him saying, you know, the guy you just crucified, yeah, he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. So we see that, and these are some things we see. There's also some things, some patterns and things that we, we don't necessarily see, partly because they're not repeated as much, so it kind of makes them less of a pattern, and partly because our cultural context and, you know, as Americans, we don't see things the same way as a first century Jewish person would see. So one of those things is just the idea of the kingdom of God. Okay, and we can use, I'm going to use the term the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven interchangeably because they are interchangeable terms in scripture. Um, So the kingdom of God, a little background for just a first century Jewish person. The kingdom of God is something they would have been very well versed in. Um, It talks in the Old Testament many times about the coming of the kingdom of God. And about this, this one the Bible speaks of called the Messiah, right? And he was to be the one who ushered in the kingdom of God. He was to be one who ruled and reigned. You know, he's spoken of as a king. A king who came in the line of David, who would be seated on a throne, who would rule and reign with a scepter of righteousness, right? So first century Jews would see that and they'd be like, awesome. You know, we're under this horrible Roman rule, this opposition, and we're not really even in charge of ourselves right now, so bring on the king. And they would be looking to that. And when we look in the, in, in the New Testament, we see Jesus is teaching about the kingdom, and people are like, you keep talking about it, where is it? And then he keeps like redirecting them to the concept that like the kingdom is at hand. It's inside of you, right? But we kind of see that there's this imbalance where as he's talking about it, they keep thinking like, if you're the king, where's the physical kingdom? Like, come in and just get rid of these people. One of the places we see this is in the first chapter of Acts, okay? And this is after Jesus has been crucified, after he rose again. He's been fellowshipping with his disciples And he talks to them about the kingdom. So let's go there. Acts 1, verses 3 to 9. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So after reading this, do you think the disciples you think the disciples understood the kingdom in the same way that Jesus did? No, right? So there's another dialogue. What was the misunderstanding? What, how did they miss the point? Right. And it would be more powerful, and they, it's almost like you see that they kind of wanted to share in that power, right? Like, I, I forget who it was. It was two of the disciples. Names aren't important. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, it was, it was a mother of two of the disciples that was like, you know, hey, Jesus, uh, when you come into your kingdom, can you seat this one son on the other and this one son on the other side of you? I think it was like James and John. Um, and they're like, yeah. Uh, so we do see that was in them. And the truth is, if, if we're honest here today, um, I think we struggle with the same thing they do. You know, if you're saying, like, I'm not really, like, looking for a kingdom. You know, I'm not looking. That's a foreign concept to us. Maybe to the British folks among us, it's a, it's a familiar concept. But to us, it's, it's a foreign concept, the idea of a kingdom and, like, this physical rule and reign of a king. Um, but the truth is that we always have a tendency to trust the things we see, right, versus the things we don't see. We have a tendency, Romans one twenty five says that all of us, this is all of us, uh, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the created things rather than the creator. So that's our tendency, is to exchange the truth of God for a lie and to really, in a sense, we want our own kingdoms. I think that's that's the main thing that impacted me, like, yeah, when I think about it, like, I do, I want the Lord, but I want my own kingdom. I want to be in control, and that's the struggle that we fight, and that's where we share it with the disciples. You know, they're, they're really not that different than us, and we're not that different than them. So that left me with a question. If, if we were to take an honest inventory of our lives right here, right now, would, would our lives and our hearts show and prove that we are after our own kingdom or God's kingdom? And that kind of leads us to kind of the big idea of the service today. The big idea that I felt God was impressing upon my heart. And that is that we, as the body of Christ, are called to be a people who forsake our own kingdoms for God's kingdom. And we're to do that with joy, right? In the example of Christ, who with joy laid down his right, to his kingdom on earth to take upon our death as he became our king. So that also led me to think, what are some of the indicators that we see in our lives that show which kingdom we actually believe in? Um, I mean, some of the indicators, indicators I thought of is that our use of money, you know? How we use money shows how we think about, you know, whether we've been given money by God or if it's money that we have earned. Um, our use of time. Is our time all of ours? And, you know, God gets Sunday morning or whenever we want to give him. Um, 
use of our talents, like the things God has given us, are they given because God is going to use them to draw people to himself? Um, just the use of our homes, how we open up our homes to family and outsiders, like that's a vessel where we can serve the king. Um, do we offer these things as first to God, or are they first ours, and then wrestling with it, we let God have them when we have no other choice? Um, so kind of in this struggle, this, this struggle between our kingdom and God's kingdom, I came across this quote by Randy Alcorn, um, and it's in a book that, that he wrote called Seeing the Unseen. And the quote says, The Bible tells us we are pilgrims, strangers, aliens, and ambassadors working far from home. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we've become so attached to this world that we live for the wrong kingdom. And I felt that really summed up what I felt God was showing me through this passage. So if that's the case, what would it look like? What would it look like to live not for our kingdom but God's kingdom with Christ as king? Okay? What would that look like? And I just want you we're not going to dialogue that, just be thinking about that. The first thing, the first point that we can see from our text, from Acts 9, is that it would look a lot like Tabitha. So if we go back and and see that, if we go back and read that, we see in the story that Tabitha was, number one, declared to be a disciple, okay, a follower of Christ. A disciple is somebody who counts the cost and sees Christ as far more valuable than anything they give up in the pursuit of him. She lived to serve her king. She lived literally for King Jesus, right? By living in communion with him, it was a natural outflowing that we see that she lived to serve those in her community. There's, you know, there's no mistake that scripture says there that she was always full of good deeds and helping the poor. It's not like just showing her agenda. Like this is who, she, will, she was that way because of how well she was loved by Christ. We get a sense of that. In fact, she... She was loved so well, and from that love, she loved others so well that when she died, people actually were like, what are we going to do? You know, she was such a big part of our community. She helped out so many people, we have to bring her back. I heard there's this guy named Peter. Go for him, you know. Go send somebody to him. See if he can pray for her and bring her back. So her love left such a vacancy in the lives around her that the only probable solution was that we just got to ask if we can have her back. Truthfully, I don't know if... I don't know if I love that way, you know? I think my love is mixed. My love... To others, is a, lot, a lot of times, primarily, is not about others, but it's about me. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. I know that's, a, that's just a struggle we all have. But it is beautiful to see Tabitha in Scripture as somebody who loved others so well that when she goes, they rally, they ask Christ. Christ gives her back and glorifies himself through that. It's a beautiful thing. 
So I guess kind of our second point, as we're asking the question, what would it look like to live in God's kingdom on this earth, his kingdom that's an unseen kingdom with him as king? And again, it points us right back to the text. It would look a lot like Peter, right? The story of Peter, he was someone who denied Christ three times. And we know that brought Peter a great sense of grief, right? But we see God's compassion on him when Peter, sitting around, um, this is after Christ was crucified and he was risen, he sat around, had breakfast with his disciples, and he used that opportunity to look at Peter. And do you remember the questions he asked him? He didn't say, Peter, um, what have you done for my kingdom today? You know? It wasn't about what Peter was doing. It wasn't about the works that we do. He said, Peter, do you love me? The first time Peter said, Lord, you alone know. You, you know. You know everything. You know I love you. The second time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, feed my sheep, he says to him. Third time, Peter, and you can almost sense by now, Peter's heart is like, why is he asking me this? Like, he knows everything. You can almost feel the heartache of Peter, who's seeing the risen Christ, bears that weight that he knows he denied him three times. So what does Jesus do? He asks him three times if he loves him. And then Christ affirms his love for him in every one of those times that he asks him. And he redirects him in those moments. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Right? So there's a link there that we see that love for Jesus naturally, out of a love for Jesus, naturally, in our hearts, we love others, right? We love the church. We love Christ's body. We're going to go back to the text, Acts 9.32. Let's go back to see what Peter's doing. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. So there it is. Jesus spoke to him, you know, and he, he spoke into him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's now living out of his new identity, out of what Christ spoke into him. Because what is he doing? He's traveling about the countryside, visiting the churches and feeding them. His love for Jesus was under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's the same Holy Spirit that took Philip and it moved him across a whole countryside to meet one man, an Ethiopian eunuch who was in charge in a royal capacity. And it's that same spirit said to Philip, go over to that, stair- that chariot and stand near it. That same spirit, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is the spirit that when Peter encountered Aeneas, that same spirit through Peter said, it's 
Jesus Christ that heals you. I, I've read that a couple times and I underlined it because it's, I'm thinking, why was it that Peter, when he saw Aeneas, said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And I'm just thinking from like a literal sense because I know what we're learning, but kind of forget that for a second. Um, what kind of a confidence does that take for Peter, number one, to be able to go up to a man who's been paralyzed for eight years and to say to him, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mat. And this isn't, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, but what I see, what I observe, is that Peter was no longer a man who lived in his own kingdom with himself as king. He was a man now who knew Christ intimately, right? He loved him. He followed the Spirit. He listened to the Spirit greater than he listened to his, kind of his own voice. He spoke for Christ. How, how great do you have to know somebody and, and love somebody to be able to speak for them confidently? But that was Peter. So this morning, do you know Christ that way? Do you, is there in your heart a desire to want to know him that way? To want, if you didn't hear from him for a period of a day, would that, would that upset you? If, do you wake with the desire and I'm, I'm saying this not because, like, I'm in a place where I hear the Spirit all the time and, like, oh, this is me. I'm saying this because I, I wrestle with that question. I can go for days sometimes, and it's like I forget that I need to hear from God. Are we in a place where if the Spirit doesn't speak to us, that shakes us in a day? So to live, in a, to live in God's kingdom with Christ as king means we listen to the Spirit. It means our ear is sensitive and it hears the Spirit. And if we hear the Spirit, we see those around us and we listen to them. Okay. So now you have to remember the things we're talking about. I told you to forget the things we're talking about. Now you have to remember. In what ways do we see Peter being kingdom-minded? How, how do we see Peter being a man who's kingdom-minded in this text? It's kind of a loaded question, to be honest, because I just I, we kind of talked about it. So it's like, does he just want me to repeat it for the sake of it? But maybe there's something I didn't say. I mean, the Holy Spirit is among us, and he can teach anyone. He can teach me up here. So in what ways do we see Peter as being a man who's kingdom-minded? There's a dialogue portion. You can say something. Wow. Yeah. If you couldn't hear her, she said he removed the people because he wasn't seeking to like do a showy miracle like a trick for them. He... He really wanted to encounter God. 
What else? Wow, yeah, that's a great point. He doesn't limit God. You, you got the sense that it's like the Spirit was telling him to do this, and it's, it's kind of like you get the sense, just from our own experience of seeing, like, man, if the Spirit told me to do that, I'd be like, is this, I don't know. There's a sense of risk to say to somebody, like, Jesus heals you, get up. Because then if they don't get up, it's like, uh. <laughs> my sister's here today, Colleen. She's my oldest sister, my sister Leah. And Colleen was telling us a story. And I hope this isn't wrong to share this, but it's okay. Um, I'm really not trying to put anybody in a story. She was sharing a story about how at her church they had a guest speaker. Um, and the guest speaker came and kind of off the cuff, the guest speaker was like, I really, uh, and I'm, just know I'm not sharing this to put anybody down or anybody who's trusting the spirit. But anyway, let's just, let's just hear it. So the guest speaker came and he said like, I feel the Lord wants me to heal somebody today. Is there anybody in here with a sickness? Is there anybody here who wants healing? And like this guy got up and said like, Yeah. So he, he's like, come forward, come forward. Um, and when he came forward, he's like, tell us what's wrong with you. And the guy was like, you know, my leg's hurting. Um, and he's like, well, let's pray. Let's, and he prays with him. He prays with him, you know, for his healing. And then he's like, how do you feel? He's like, nope, still hurts. So then he's like, all right, we'll pray again. Prays, he prays again. How do you feel now? He's like, nope, still hurts. And, you know, she, she just said, like, she saw the pastor of her church, and the pastor was like, oh, my gosh, like, is this really happening? It's like a train wreck. How do we stop this? Like, and then she said you just felt so embarrassed in that moment. You just wanted to crawl inside your skin. Um, but the truth is, like, not to knock anybody, we know that there are people who, for whatever reason, use this kind of, like, this power of healing and this idea of healing to, like, gain for themselves. And I'm not saying that guy was. I don't know him. He'll never listen to this podcast, so it's not a... Um, and you see the people on TV, you know, like, send in your checks, anointed water. You know, there's this cloth that we have blessed. And it's all under this guise of, like, healing, right? Um, so I got way off track. I just wanted to tell that story. Way off track. Um, it's going to take a minute. Right. Yeah, we were talking about healing. <laughs> if you could only be inside my mind, you would know that I'm off track. Okay, anyway, that's ridiculous. Um, so we were talking about Tabitha. We were talking about how Christ, through Peter, raised her. It's almost like he, he sent her back from his side to the people, presenting her to them as a gift to them out of love and showing them that he has authority over death, right? So through Peter, through Tabitha, our examples today, we see that people who seek God's kingdom, and this is going to be like, duh, very simple, but the simplest truths are often the most profound, right? People who seek God's kingdom love the king, right? It's born out of nothing other 
than a love for Christ as king. He's a king who laid down his life for us. And, you know, Scripture says, what greater love has any man than this than he would lay down his life for his friends? So that's the first thing we see. Second, in response to that love, we see people laying down their lives for the king. And in laying down their lives, they're laying it down for others, loving them extravagantly. So the question I guess we're all asking today is, do we love others in that way? First and foremost, do we love Jesus that way? And then out of that love, do we love others to show them how well we've been loved in Christ? I guess the second question is, today, are you living, are we living for our own kingdoms, or are we living for God's kingdom, which is to come, which is a reality right now here in this room, in our hearts? He, he is king, and he's building his kingdom. 1 John 3, chapter 3, verses 16 Um, through 24. I'm not going to read the whole passage. Um, I'm going to read 16, then 23 through 24. I think this kind of wraps it up really well. It says, this is verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Just listen to those words. Like, if you want the definition of love, it doesn't get better than this right here. So let's hear this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Skip ahead to verse 23. And this is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he commanded us. You see the link there. If we love Christ, we love people. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. So the same spirit, the same spirit that inhabited Peter, that carried him around, speaking to him, telling where he should go, that commanded to Aeneas, get up, Jesus Christ heals you. The same spirit that Peter, when he was alone with the dead body of Tabitha, spoke and said, Tabitha, arise. That same spirit is the same spirit that was in Jesus when he healed Jairus' daughter. The same spirit that was in Jesus when he commanded into a tomb and said, Lazarus, arise. It's the power of that spirit that took upon himself something that was so outside his experience. And that was our sin, right? He took upon himself our sin on the cross, a king 
laying down his life, making himself nothing, humbling himself like a servant, taking on himself our sin on the cross so that we might be freed of the penalty of sin, which is death, right? And it's eternal death. It's a death that if we follow that to its end in our lives, brings us to judgment. And in God's righteous judgment, we go to hell. It's hard to say. Like, we don't want to talk about that, but that's where sin takes us. That's the power of sin in our lives. But Christ, laying down his life and his throne as king, takes upon himself the penalty due us to free us, to welcome us into his family. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. Pray with me. Father, I just, I just ask you that there would be a sense of burdens relieved by your Spirit here today because of the way you loved us in dying on the cross. I pray that our experience today for those who call Jesus Christ King would be an experience of freedom. God, that you would awake life in us to see this unseen kingdom where you are king. God, it's not by anything that we could do. It's in your power, Lord. So we leave it there. We lay it at your feet. Come into a work among us as we leave here then this week in the places that we go. Lord, we, we may have hardships awaiting us this week, God. I pray that you would be king over those hardships and that you would take our pain and exchange it for joy. As one day we're going to walk into your kingdom and you're going to wipe away every tear. Would you come and do that for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.